AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. Uh, if you've ever been involved uh, uh, or aware of any any R&D, once you jump down that rabbit hole, you have no idea how much it's actually going to cost to finish it and do the prototyping and do the testing and write the code. Uh, I'd like you to code something that has never been done before. Can you give me a price for that, sir? One billion dollars. A billion dollars. Exactly. There's never been an easier way to make a billion dollars. It's easy. And here's the fun part. It's easy. What's the matter? You don't want to make a billion dollars? The company that owns the Vegas Sphere invested in the technology that they use. Does more pixels mean better pictures? And leveraging spatial audio in meetings. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 643, recorded Friday, December 15th, 2023. Investing in AV. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright, and I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have got this week. First and foremost, Britt Yenzer from Moravian University. How are Hello. you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. You should also listen to her podcast, The Brave Space. Uh, we'll talk about that at the very end. Mr. Brock McGinnis from Nationwide. Welcome, sir. Always terrific to be here, Tim. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. And, and Brock's, if you're not watching the video, Brock's shirt is much more colorful than mine. Um, I don't even know. Is that coral? Yes, or, or some such. Salmon? Some such color. I just, I made a conscious attempt today, Tim, not to, to wear purple because I know how much that sets you off. I appreciate that. Last but not least, it, it doesn't really. Uh, Mr. Steve Kawasaki, a young man I have not seen for a minute, but he, now he is with our friends over at the farm. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Uh, first story, you can find it on AV Magazine, and I'm not sure where else you could find it because God love our friends over in London. They've taken a very interesting interest in the MSG sphere. So much so that they went down the road of SEC filings, uh, the Security and Exchange Commission's filings. So the AV Magazine folks took a look at some of the filings by the MSG Sphere. Apparently, uh, the Sphere took an innovative approach to its technology procurement by acquiring equity stakes in two key suppliers, audio assistance provider Holoplot and the LED display builder uh, Seco Technologies. They did this, not this year, but in 2018 and 2019, just as the plans uh, were going out. Uh, the uh, 2018 MSG acquired 25% of Holoplot. In 2019, they acquired 30% of Seco. The timely investments allowed the Sphere to secure quote-unquote cutting-edge AV solutions from these best-in-class partners while also capturing some of the value derived from being the showcase site for their groundbreaking technologies. <sighs> okay, so it, I'm gonna give you my opinion at the very end here. Britt, I'm gonna start with you on this. Me? <laughs> I can, I'll start with Brock. What does this do for all the positive PR, all the positive press that both companies have gotten from the opening of the Sphere? Uh, I think an investment uh, in uh, very small manufacturers who are designing very custom product uh, for a one-off application is makes perfect sense. Um, both of these companies will have 
uh, come back to the sphere and said, first, you're out of your mind. And second, <laughs> do you have any idea what it's going to cost to develop product that is just for you? We want a check this big just to get started. And the smart folks at MSG who own the sphere went happy to, but we want a piece of the action and we want to be able to watch our money because we don't want to give you those millions of dollars up front and then have you fail. And I don't think that the sphere and the technology that has been developed for the sphere would have happened in any other way. Uh, not surprised to read that at all. Um, there were a number of other very prominent audio manufacturers that turned down uh, the opportunity to develop the sphere because it would have consumed all of their engineering resources and uh, probably a good chunk of their R&D and research or, or working capital just to make it happen if it could happen. If it could happen. Um, and uh, uh, if you've ever been involved uh, uh, or aware of any, any R&D, once you jump down that rabbit hole, you have no idea how much it's actually going to cost to finish it and do the prototyping and do the testing and write the code. Uh, I'd like you to code something that has never been done before. Can you give me a price for that, sir? One billion dollars. A billion dollars. Exactly. I read that article and I went, absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, whether MSG is, is ever able to capitalize on it, uh, I could see you know, I could see another sphere popping up next week in Jeddah or Kuala Lumpur or Dubai. They're already talking about one in London. And maybe they are. Um, and uh, and whether the holoplots and secos of the world would actually make money the second time around, because, uh, you know, as somebody who's done a lot of custom work over the years, I'm not sure they made money the first time in the round because they didn't know how to price the product. So this is uh, t to me, Tim, and I know that you you have some reservations about um, uh, about the end user, you know, kind of being involved at the front end of the supply chain. I I think that it makes perfect sense. They um, they uh, effectively bought the mines and manufacturing capability that they needed to deliver the product that they conceived of. And apparently it works brilliantly. I haven't been yet. I, I have, uh, we know a few people who have. I have only seen it, I've seen it, I got a, a sneak peek in August before it ever opened. Um, so, I mean, obviously the outside works mostly good. Uh, Steve, same question to you. You know, um, what, what do we think about the, this investment by the, the actual company that uses it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question. There's, um, as kind of a business, development strategy, there is a very narrow profile of manufacturers that would see, would see this as a good opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think, Brock, you pointed that out. And, you know, it, they have to check a lot of boxes as a business or as a developing business to view this opportunity as being, hey, thumbs up, the upsides are so much stronger than the rather considerable downsides that, yeah, we're going to say yes to it. You know, it's got to be a small company. It's got to be a company that has, uh, as its primary goal, developing some form of large-scale or technologies that would be appropriate for a large-scale experiential uh, kind of installations. Right? And there's not that many companies that fit that profile. It has to be a company with already some kind of momentum behind it 
some form of uh, either technical or biz dev or you know operational infrastructure that's already underway. Can't be just a couple of very smart engineers working out of their garage just yet. You know, it has to be something a little bit bigger than that in order to kind of check the box. And you know, there's not really all that many companies that fit that profile. So I think it was a good business decision on all the part of all parties. How what it looks like moving forward is kind of hard to know. You know, did Zico and Holoplot are they going to get enough traction out of this one development effort that they're going to be able to commercialize their their products for 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 a larger mass market? Is there even a larger market that can afford these technologies? And and I hope there is. By the way, my 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 personal feelings about this type of work is go go go. It's nothing but good for the industry. It's nothing but good for the planet. I think that there are. You know, everybody, you know, myself as a, as a layperson who loves to go out and see concerts and music and events, you know, I mean, this is great. And, and, you know, as an industry person, we haven't been able to talk about anything but the sphere. It comes up in every conversation, 100%. you know, yeah. casual and formal business conversations. And I think it's great for the industry. So I'm hoping that there is enough traction out of this project that, you know, Holoplot is able to develop more fully and becoming you know, become a, a larger, larger player in the industry. And the same thing with Seco as well. All right. Brett, how would the knowledge of this, right? Of, of, of another venue owning, I'm going to pick on some, some folks here, owning Biamp, right? O owning QSIS, owning a, a portion of Crustron. Would that impact when you guys look to specify products or is it just, yeah, okay. You know, other people own them too. Who cares? I think it depends. So I'm in the higher ed vertical and it depends on your institution and whether or not you're private or public. So I'm a private institution. So we have fewer rules and regulations um, at my institution in particular. They care more about whether you personally have investment in something. And, you know, I don't. <laughs> so, you know, I could make purchases or recommendations and they would consider that to be without bias. Interesting. You personally, though, as you're looking at this, how big of an impact would this have if you were looking at Holoplot, if you were looking at another, you know, uh, LED manufacturer and found out that, hey, this is also not only being used at the sphere, but also owned poor partially by the sphere. For me personally, I found that really interesting. I really appreciated hearing the perspective from Brock and Steve because I uh, that was not the perspective I took because I was very focused on like, wait, they acquired what at what time and how is this affecting them as a company and their revenue? Um, it kind of reminded me of the documentary that recently came out about like the GameStop short and everything where I was yep. like, I wonder if we're going to get a documentary about this someday. <laughs> it's very possible. So I, I was with Brett on this and r really briefly, there's um, at least in the state of Illinois, there, there was a, a law probably a hundred years ago now that was passed that said a, a brewery could not own a bar. Okay. Uh, I'm going somewhere with this. So hang on for a second. Uh, and one of the more popular bars here in the, in the area is called Fast Eddie's Bonaire. It was originally owned by Anheuser-Busch back in the early 1900s. Well, when that law was passed, it became something else and other people, you know, um, bought it. That felt like that to me, right? This story felt like an, a, a brewery owning a bar. 
Now, to Brock's point, and, and I do, I'm with Britt, I appreciate the perspective because I hadn't thought about the fact that we're asking you to do something that's never been done before. We're going to buy a piece to help you do that. And we're going to consume the entirety of your business over the next five years doing it. Yeah. You're not going to be able to work for any other customers. You're not, you know, Holoplot was a, a pretty small uh, company um, doing uh, mostly museum and exhibit work, you know, kind of yeah. one-off customizations. They had modules, but that's all they had. And, um, and, and so, uh, it, you know, they've been working on nothing else but the sphere. Uh, and I, I get it. They, um, uh, basically, the sphere hired the people who own those businesses. I do wonder, though, like, as someone who makes, purchases and researches things like I would probably be less interested in a company that doesn't have a very large portfolio where it's like okay what you're doing at the sphere is incredible and interesting but if you can't show me more or other applications or other places like maybe not for me yeah I I, I mentioned when, when Brock was talking that they are talking about one in London really quickly the politicians in London are arguing, and that's all I have to say about that. Because there's yeah. a baseball player in LA who can afford one. I'm certain. Yes, yeah. <laughs> go Dodgers. Uh. This is Aaron Marmoran of EdTech. The world of higher ed AV is growing rapidly. That's why each month we hear from the best and brightest from colleges and universities all over the U.S. Check out EdTech on AVNation.tv or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Next story, QSIS uh, has announced that the new collaboration in architectural offerings that they've got has a brand spanking new very first Microsoft Teams room solution that supports spatial audio for more natural meetings and also, also uh, in the announcements was zero bezel ceiling speakers providing premium acoustics without visible edges. The spatial audio enabled Teams room solution, though, leverages QSIS hardware in AI to position voices by their locations on screen, advancing equity for remote participants. Vic Baggett from QSIS said, quote, unquote, spatial audio is another example of the advanced features and functionality QSIS brings to elevate experience. Mr. Kawasaki, we'll start with you on this. How important is spatial audio in not just Teams, but, but in video conferencing in general, or as QSIS said, it, for meeting equity? Microsoft is... Uh, has been for a while now promoting uh, the, the new um, uh, wide widescreen version uh, of, of Teams, right? They call yeah. it the Microsoft parlance. They call it they call them signature rooms. And what it does yeah. is it gives you a very large sort of video panel in the middle with you know, all your video conferencing panes in there. And then on the left and the right, you have a couple of, you know, uh, data panels that can show scrolling text and you know, meeting participants and chat and, and a bunch of other things. The screen's very wide and the, the layout of the, of, of the people on the screen is very wide as well. And for that particular type of room, spatial audio is really helpful because it helps you um, echo locate, you know, uh, not not echo, but helps you, uh, you know, using the um, you know the the, the position of the uh, of the voice coming out of the speaker helps you actually locate with your eyes who's talking on the screen. It's it's a nice feature. It, it works really well. It helps with that. It helps a lot with that widescreen format where there is a lot to look at, and it helps uh, the you know the meeting participants in the room focus on you know the meeting participants on the far side. It's pretty useful, and uh, it gets good meeting results. 
Microsoft's been promoting it really heavily. I think it's got, I, I think, I, you know, assuming that that format of meeting room, which is uses the, the, the long wall as the screen wall, which is uh, as opposed to what current meeting rooms use in, 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 for most part, as that gains traction, uh, I think people are going to find it a pretty useful feature. Outside of that, I don't know. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm you know, I'm, I'm here talking with, with, with you folks and I'm, I'm hearing your voices come out of, you know, my speakers, which are, you know, behind my monitors. It's fine. I'm looking at all four of you right in front of me, and I, I, I know who's talking. So it's uh, in, in the smaller format room, not, not, not a ton of value. I, I appreciate you said assuming that that's going to take off, because <laughs> who knows? I mean, they've been talking about 21.9 for two, for two years, dude. And, 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 and some folks have gotten into it, right? You yeah, got yeah, multiple absolutely. display manufacturers who have. Now we've got audio in, in it. Um, Brett, same kind of question, whether it's a classroom or it's a meeting space, how big of an issue is or how big of a, of a benefit is it? for spatial audio and, and locating where folks are talking from. I mean, I don't think it hurts, right? But I I don't know how necessary it is. I kind of take issue with the idea that it is helping with meeting equity. I understand why they would say that. And I understand why it's important to be able to see who's speaking and everything and, you know, have great quality audio. But I think that meeting equity is not something that can be solved with technology, really. Like meeting equity is the person running the meeting <laughs> and whether or not that they're running that well and making sure people are included and th those like soft skills sort of things. I don't know how much technology can help with something like meeting equity unless you're taking like very human skills into play. Um, and even the the AI piece of like it recognizes a voice and tracks. I've noticed that a lot of faculty are like make it stop doing that. Like <laughs> they actually don't okay. want. Why? Like, like what is their reason? Not that you can see in their brain, but what is like? Do they verbalize why they want you to stop that? They find it distracting, okay. and they personally okay. prefer to have larger views. And they also will do things like have a camera focus on a board where they're writing, or they'll be using a document camera. And like they want the focus to be on the content that they're showing. They don't want the focus to be on random people speaking. Okay, that's fair. That's actually really interesting to hear. Because we, as an industry, get all caught up in the technology, and it can do this, and it can focus in on you, um, and uh, it will improve meeting equity for those poor folks that are stuck at a conference table at the office versus, you know, having a big headspace like this um, as a remote participant. Um, and you're actually getting pushback from users. Mm -hmm. Good to hear. Uh, Brock, anything else to add on the on the spatial audio? I'm glad that Steve explained uh, that this was all about uh, the the widescreen view because otherwise I didn't get it. Um, I mean, Brit's got um, AirPods on, and there's spatial audio in those. Uh, and if you're listening to uh, certain kinds of recordings, you can tell um, if the keyboard is on the left and the bass player is on the right. Uh, you know, yep. you, you get a sense of, of where on stage the performer is. And that was a that was a big advance in recording technology and, and to be able to give us a sense as we sat in our living rooms uh, uh, consuming great music um, that we felt more like we were in the hall 
and had you know direct sound uh, you know coming from the uh, but in a lecture hall I, I I don't suspect that spatial audio is required to tell whether the the uh, professor is on the left of the dais or on the right of the dais um, and I'm not sure at a meeting other than getting people's attention up from their phones which they tend to be on during meetings anyway um, it will have a, a a great impact but it's there you know it's it's part of the the audio toolkit um, for uh, uh, for a lot of recording capabilities and and why not toss it into teams and be able to market it final story comes to us from our own AV nation website and I am incredibly uh, jazzed to do this uh, a young man that I've been after for a while to write for AV nation his name's Robert Heron of Heron Fidelity and he wrote his very first piece he dives into screen resolution as he aims to define quote uh, what quote unquote HD means which I freaking love 720 1080 4k whatever non non 4k UHD all the jazz um, he looks into uh, looks in, actually he dives really deep into the pixels uh, and as, as well as the horizontal um, approximations respectively throughout the different ones more pixels according to Robert also enable viewers to sit closer without discerning individual pixels however even 8k resolution offering 33 million plus pixels is wasted unless optimized by factors like contrast, color accuracy, and advanced formats. Thus, impressive pixels remain fundamental to displays, but realizing their full potential requires both pixel quantity through high resolutions and pixel quality for a truly immersive viewing experience. Of course, Mitchell will put a link to this on this episode's page. Brett, first question for you on this is, how do we communicate to the decision makers that more pixels is not inherently better, right? And I say decision makers, Britt Brit works for a university. She's a decision maker, but she has people above her, right? And this, is, this goes back 100 years when I was a tech manager. We had a lovely president and God, God loved Dr. Chapman. But when 1080 came out and then 4K came out, he had to have it because it was bigger and better. Not because it was useful <laughs> in the application, but because he wanted his professors to say, we have 4K projectors, right? So, Britt, how do we communicate that to the powers that be? Yeah, I think we just have to, one, can we share this article with them? I love this article. Like, it, it was Please do. so good. It was so well written. And, like, it was technical without being overly technical. So, like, shout out for that. But I think the the biggest thing is to keep, their focus on the end in mind and what the what solution they're trying to get to you yep. know it's like okay if that is your primary content if these are the things that you want to show then this is the best way to display it and the best way to display it might not be like 8k you know so just having that conversation of like what is it exactly that you want to do Okay, then this is what we can do because I don't need a 4K projector to show the VHS tape that you ripped, right? <laughs> In 1989. Oh no no, she said two, she said two things there. Hang on, she said two things: the VHS that you ripped, and I'm laughing because I know exactly what she's freaking talking about because we may have done the same thing when I was at the college. 
I won't tell you the last time I got a VHS tape rip, but um, it wasn't a long time ago. <laughs> All right, Brock, help me here. Because uh, <laughs> I can go down that rabbit hole really quickly. What's, what is the balance here, right? What is the balance between more pixels is better and actually impacting the experience? Uh, so as an integrator, the balance ends up being in cost. Um, okay. The uh, and uh, the conversation that we have to have, and I'm in the middle uh, uh, with my team now of designing an auditorium for for a healthcare center uh, that is is going to have a combination of uh, self serve uh, events, uh, but also technician operated multi camera, uh, you know, fundraisers and and public community events, um, and as soon as we go to a 4K camera architecture. One, they need to hire a makeup artist um, because, you know, it, it's, it's a big difference uh, putting a camera of that capability on an ordinary presenter at a podium. But the, 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 um, the complexity uh, at the control position becomes uh, horrendously costly. Uh, am I, you know, am I now running an NDI workflow? Um, and uh, having to take separate feeds, you know, for regular Zoom meetings and training presentations. Um, and uh, as soon as that's 4K, you know, that, that architecture is, is uh, full digital and 4K. Uh, the recording has to be at a, at a whole different level. So, uh, so the conversation, because it, you know, the client goes, well, I have a 4K TV at home. And, and the client doesn't realize that most of what they're seeing on their 4K t TV is, as Mr. Heron uh, told me, is 1080i content <laughs> and being upscaled. So, so it's, it's just, it's practicalities. Um, I love okay. my 4K TV and the occasional bits of 4K content on it. Um, as much as I loved uh, that first 720i, uh, uh, 69 flat screen that I had. Plasma. Plasma, 100%. Um, Steve, you have the last word on this. What? How big of a deal is it, and how do we get this out to the folks that, that are ones uh, specifying these? Yeah, yeah. So 16K is the way to go if you're building another sphere, uh, for sure. <laughs> right? Well, that, that's, what, that's the thing, is the sphere is 16K, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for, you know, these... It, for people who are doing experiential installations, whether it's a sphere or something more modest, because everything is more modest when you compare it to the sphere, um, it's it's you know brilliant. The, um, somebody told me recently that the human eye has the ability to resolve up to two hundred million pixels. Okay, so sixteen uh, K is what 120, 130 million pixels somewhere in that range. So you're getting actually close to at that point the ability of the the human visual system to re, uh, you know pass the point where the human visual system can resolve it. You know, and we're talking about full field of view here, right? Not just partial field of view. Um, and sure, there is a case to be made if you are trying to design a facility that is offering a, a truly immersive, a stunningly immersive experience that these higher resolutions are going to have some value. But as, as Brock said, and as, as Britt pointed out, you know, the, the practicality of what is the content now? How long do you need to screen? The, do you need the screen or display to last? Do you want it to last five years? You're not ever going to turn this into an immersive facility. It's spreadsheets. Fine. 
if you're using it for to, to look at x-rays in you know, your medical facility, you are going to need a higher resolution uh, format and you have higher resolution material and lives are at stake. There is absolutely, you know, you know the investment is justified. Otherwise, you know, fit to budget. And then, you know, we as AV professionals are, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're explaining just how this is going to look and, and what they can use it for. And I, I, and higher res, I'm all for it because I want, I want to see more spheres on the planet. I, I think they're great. I just love the symmetry in audiovisual that now every discussion starts and ends with the severe. I'm not sure if you meant the symmetry because that, that works with the sphere. And Correct. It's... Yeah, no, I, okay. I, I did actually. I chose those okay. words intentionally. I would not have. I'm yeah. just, you know, I'm not that smart. All right, Brett, Brett Yesner from uh, Moravian uh, University. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, how do people connect with you? How do they listen to the podcast? All that jazz. Okay, awesome. So I am on LinkedIn as Britt Yenser, and then I am on Twitter as Brave Brit, and my podcast is on higheredav.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Brave Space. And just a quick shout out with some things we have going on with Hetma right now. We do have the technology scholarship open, so Aurora donated money for um and users, quote unquote, people in the higher ed vertical to upgrade their classrooms. And we actually recently um, advanced or pushed back, pushed back is the word I want, uh, the due date for that. It was originally December 31st to apply, but you now have until January 31st oh, wow. to apply for the technology scholarship. And you can find that on higheredav.com. And the PRISM scholarship is also open right now. So the PRISM scholarship is for people in the higher ed vertical who identify with an underrepresented group. So really quickly, because, uh, you know, God love, you know, Paul Harrison and the Aurora folks. Talk for a second about what the technology scholarship is for. Like if I'm applying for it, what what am I saying? What, what, am, I, what am I trying to do? I mean, obviously upgrading our system, but... What, what is the criteria? Okay, so what I have in the scholarship application here, which is available on HiredAV.com, is that it's available to all nonprofit institutions of higher ed, and training will be provided on the equipment from Aurora. All equipment awarded through the scholarship must be maintained for a minimum of five years. So ultimately, what you'll do when you see this form is explain in the form what upgrades you're looking to do and what technology you're looking for how you think it will help very cool all right like i said mitchell will put a link uh, to both of those on on this episode's page mr mcginnis thank you sir uh always good to see you uh how do people connect with you or uh or uh nationwide um i'm on uh, linkedin brock mcginnis uh, and uh, you can contact me through nationwide uh nation wideav.com um, and of course every six weeks I'm here on AV Nation with Tim. You are. Uh, Mr. Kawasaki, so good to see you sir uh, after a while. Um, how do people connect with you or the, or the farm? They can uh, find me personally on LinkedIn at uh, Steve Kawasaki and uh, you can contact uh, the farm at thefarmav.com right, Very good. When you do, tell Kelly Perkins we said hey. Uh, for will. me, for Tim Albright, don't go, don't follow me on anything. Uh, there's no telling what I'll say. Uh, but go by the website, if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Two uh, important things going on right now. Number one, the Avionation Reader's Choice Awards. The nomination process is open. 
So go tell us what the best of the best of 2023 was, whether that's the best education or who you think the AV Nation uh, professional, AV professional of the year should be. Second, if you're going to uh, ISC, Integrated Systems Europe, which happens the 30th of January through the 2nd of February, come by, grab a drink on us, on HD Base T, and on our friends at Commercial Integrator. The tweet up is coming back, or not coming back, it's, it's continuing at ISC. It is the 30th of January from four to six CET uh, in the HD Base T booth. So you can register for, uh, you can register for that at avnation.tv as well. So all that and more at avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.